0: Welcome to TechBets the podcast and this evening we are joined by Mari and I am very much looking forward to speaking to you tonight because not only are you a Royal Naval veteran or Royal Navy veteran, um, a military spouse but also you are a cybersecurity professional so I am very excited to speak to you this evening, Hi. welcome.
1: Hi, um, I think being ex-Navy and then you know I don't know if I still am a military spouse my husband left last year but you you have all the experience of that and in that sort of um like learning curve you learn risk management and crisis management very quickly
0: <laughs> so it's really handy in my job now to be honest so take me back to the start when you what made you join the Royal Navy I just, I am a very, like,
1: impulsive person and I like to take risks and I just didn't really feel like I was ever going to be able to go to university. I'd been told a lot of different teachers and that I just was never... I was never going to stick in. When I was at school, I just never went. I just was like, nah, I'm just going to go down the park and drink cider with my mates and be really irresponsible. You know, a typical 15 year old. And when it came down to doing my exams, um, when I was a bit older, I actually performed better than they thought I would. Um, But it still wasn't enough to get to university. And at that point, I had no interest in academics. Bit of a lost soul, so to speak and um, my mum was dating somebody who'd been in the Navy Reserve at the time and they were like why don't you go do that and I was a bit of a like a naval orphan so to speak because whole life is a bit difficult as well and um just yeah why not go off around the Navy and sail around doing whatever for a bit and um I joined up as a communicator um well, I originally joined up as an air engineer but I didn't make that so I switched to communications um after my course I've always had struggles with anxiety um I've, been, I've always been an anxious person my entire life and not having that self-belief had an impact on my my first attempt at a trade in the military and I was a bit of a problem child I'm a complete misfit the entire time I was in um I never got promoted I was like <sighs> I don't know how to explain it like I did four years at the lowest rank possible completed a taskbook and then got told it wasn't good enough and at that point I just stopped caring and spent four years just going partying around doing what a 19 20 year old does and just generally having a great old time of it but then I got I met my husband and things got real and he was getting promoted he was doing things with his career and I wasn't and then I wasn't getting anywhere, and when redundancy came around, I was like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna take redundancy," and um, we got married, and then we had children, and it was just like a career, so I wasn't going anywhere. I first job from leaving um, the navy was in a school, and um, that's my husband on the background there. If you want to say hello. Hi. How are you doing? Sorry, I'm just
0: doing it. A... What's up? What's up? <laughs> Great.
1: That's Andy, it's my husband.
0: Andy. Brilliant. Come and say hi, Andy, because you're kind of central to this in a way. He's,
1: he's, Hello. He,
0: he's a veteran as well now, 16 years in the Navy. Oh. and uh, he's a
1: he's a former dirty stoker, as they say. Now a refrigeration Marine, engineer. Marine engineering. now he's a refrigeration engineer in trucks. But I'm doing the bedtime routine at the moment. Too. So yeah, he's 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 doing dad mod. <laughs> Fantastic.
0: So yeah. when you hit the redundancy, did you have a plan?
1: For the for the future or was it no. family life buy a house do a bit of traveling i was not interested in kids at all i had to get persuaded into that one um plus like being a navy wife was really daunting for me like i'd have to put up with long periods of my husband not being here before we had children and the loneliness was awful like just without them and it got so bad that once we moved into a quarter that I got a dog. A dog helped. And then my hubby um, became an uncle and he was like, we well, should have one of these. And I was like, no, no way. And then five months later, I was pregnant. So <laughs> he just twist my arm. I'm not very... Um, There's some women who are very, like, cutesy-ootsy, cuddly and very maternal. I'm the bloke in our relationship. I do all the blokey things. I do all the DIY. And then he's all, like, the Mr Cuddles man and very affectionate. He's all the nurturing. I'm all the practical. You're being silly. Do not electrocute yourself. Stuff like that, you know. (laughs) Just, I don't know. There's always somebody in that balance.
0: How did you come to... Discover cybersecurity. I and and what at what stage? So you you mentioned you started a family. How long did it how long did it take you to kind of decide that cyber? Well,
1: that's a bit of a complicated story, really, because I first job at the navy because I'd had work experience working with computers in the military. I then went into a job doing IT support in a school, and it didn't last very long and I wasn't finding the satisfaction I wanted. And then after I had my daughter, I got a job, um, well, before I got had her, I'd got a job for a company doing like more in-depth support and it was more like programming and I was starting to get really interested and really enjoying it. And I knew that a technical role was more of what I was aiming at, but I didn't really know anything about security. I thought that was like somebody in a cupboard went off and did that somewhere, you know, and, um, I got fired for being pregnant and it ruined my confidence completely. And it was, the official line was, I was talking too much. And that's how they got away around with it. Because their point of view was I was supposed to sit at a desk until a phone rang and then I wasn't supposed to talk to anybody else but the person on the phone. And I felt like that wasn't really, like, people are really grateful to have a job, but they're not in that point of view where were you should call it your employer when they're being a bit harsh and not treating you like a human being and I just I didn't see that I saw that this was all my fault this is why I'm not going to get a job and being a military wife is hard enough because your hubby's always away there's no support and they say there's support but there isn't really um, and it's all on you to deal with every crisis that happens and you just get on with it And building a career is difficult because when they're away, it's harder to work with the childcare commitments if you've not got family nearby. Um, And then a lot of people will move towards closer to family, but then they never see their partner. So the marriage falls apart. So you're stuck in a go live somewhere miles away with no support for the children or sit beside somebody and get lots of support, but then never see your husband. And then the marriage breaks down. So you can never really win. I I chose to be close to him and just tough it out. And then I didn't have much of a career because I was constantly waiting on him coming home to to work at McDonald's for six months or something like that, just to bring extra cash in. I got fed up with it. I was in the house for such a long time with Phoebe, and that's my oldest. She's now eight. And I was like, I am an intelligent woman. I'm not getting anywhere. I'm going to go to university. But I wasn't really sure what to do and how to go down that path. I didn't really feel confident enough. So I reached out to um forces employment charity and a lady there called Netbury, she gave me the pep talk of my life and said, do you want to do it? I was like, I think so. And then she just gave me a good talking to and she was like, go stand in the mirror and give yourself a talking to and gave me all these like, like, confidence things to say like little mantras and self-belief and when you start to believe that you can do something you can definitely achieve it so like you walk into a job interview like i hope i get this you're not going to get it walk into a job interview and you've done your research for the role and you know what the requirements are and you've got an idea of what they might ask you and you're prepared and you know you're going to get it that's a better way to go into it because you deserve that the minute you walk in the door and you know you're ready for it. It's, it's a mindset thing and that's what they helped me get to. So I worked like my absolute butt off, got myself for university. I graduated with my degree, I got a degree in computing. And um, then I went to my first job, which was a security job, it just was there. I was on the careers transition partnership like, website and somebody was looking for a part-time, um, security analyst is like a just a part time job, and I thought that's perfect. I only need part time with my kid, and we'll go see how that plays out. Got made redundant after a year, which is a bit rubbish. Like I said, I'm a misfit, and in IT, it's totally normal, and especially for an ex forces woman to be in and out of a job like a yo yo. And people think that oh my god, look at my CV. I've got so many jobs. I might as well, you know, be a postage stamp and envelope or something I don't all you know when you look at your cv and you're like six months, here, six months here six months here six months here six months here and you think that's not healthy and actually it really is especially if you've been like you've just got lots of different experiences and celebrate that as a positive not as a negative I mean like you know if you're like banned from entering a certain building maybe you've done something wrong but um, yeah. I, I've never done anything like that and I knew that there's just some things that were a bad fit for me. And you have to acknowledge that as a good thing, that you're growing as a person and you know what's good for you and what's not. And I knew straight away that going for um, a degree, going to get myself into a more qualified role would get me one, obviously, better money two more respect because anybody who's ever worked in it support i'll tell you it's the hardest job to go in especially when you get the same culprit who's forgotten their password about 40 times and you get nothing but abuse because it's your fault or they've done something that's really naughty and it's your fault especially eight o'clock in the morning when they're pre-coffee and you're like hang on a minute mate hi good morning to you you know, so I was like, I want to build these programs and make something better. And then I got to that point, and I was like, I'm still bored. Security is amazing. Let's go in there. Oh, sorry, I get sidetracked a little bit.
0: No, no it's. I wondered, how did you? <laughs> yeah. Did you have to self fund your um, degree, or how? Yeah, you- yeah.
1: I did a student loan. Um, there's no like, you know, little incentive for you to go and do like things like that anymore like i think there's like enhanced learning credits and stuff but it's better to use them for something else i think than to use the the credits for that you get given for university just because like you could use that for a professional skills course and use your student loan like everybody else like i only pay about 100 pound a month at, at the most i think i don't even think it's that i think it's like yeah, maybe it's like nine percent of your income for that month or something like that. So it's not a lot. You don't even notice it's it's out before you get your pay. So I see that as an investment in my future.
0: Did you um Did you do the course while your partner was still serving? Do you work part time or full time?
1: My first year at university was absolute hell. Um, he had come back from a deployment he would have been away from nine months it was the first time we'd ever done a nine-month deployment and my oldest was eight months when he went away and the next time we saw him she was two because he went away on deployment and then came back and about two weeks after he got back he had to be duty as well his ship got activated and he went sailing off around the UK chasing submarines. And it was an emotional time, especially because I had exams. And my little girl had decided to get like colds, chicken pox, hand, foot and mouth, scaring the teachers with random behaviour. And I remember um, my second Mother's Day, Saturday in because she sprained her ankle, and I couldn't call my husband. There was nobody on the phone. Nobody realised I was even there. And honestly, I felt so rubbish. And every Mother's Day now, I think of that and think, my life has got so much better since then. So it's, been, it's just these little things that happen The kids. Just, oh, I could tell you so many stories with my children. My best one yet, my daughter, I'm going to tell her when she's 16 we were on town one day and somebody taps me on the shoulder because we're in subway is that your daughter naked one sock on (laughs) at least she had a sock on (laughs) i mean what oh that's brilliant that's like classic because like if your husband was with you someone prevented that but instead like you're like a as a navy wife you're like a bipolar parent co-parent, single-parent, co-parent, single-parent, co-parent, single-parent. And it's such a messed up head experience because one week you're a co-parent and you're given like consistent, clear rules. The next minute you're a single parent and you've got both heads on at the same time. And you're so confused. The kid's so confused. You're just like, what's going on?
0: And that was all while juggling the degree. <laughs> <laughs> yes. In the degree where you just thought, i've had enough i can't actually do this um i think
1: there was one point when I, I i'm not a natural programmer nobody is it's like learning to play a piano and i really struggled learning python at first because you have got to learn how to do it and then this is stuff that kids get taught so that's what my argument to myself was if kids can do it you can do it and then after the first like um couple of exams I started to got it you get regular exams with Python so I got I started to get it and then after Christmas we started Java and that was awful and that was the one that I was just like I can't do this I'm going to fail this course I can't do this I'm going to fail this course and in the end I made myself sit down and just do extra work at night when Audrey and when Phoebe had gone to bed and just sort of clawed scraped my way through it and the biggest secret that developers don't like to tell you is that they Google everything, like everything. They never remember it word for word and exactly how to do it. You get a habits of how they do it and where to put brackets and where to look for things. But they Google it if they don't know. And sometimes they copy and paste. And then there's Chat GPT, which I wouldn't even go down that road. <laughs>
0: but, what um, um, What kept you going when you faced when you faced the kind of python challenges and just you know those days when you're single parenting and you get them to bed and you still it's not like you know you have to open your laptop or get the books out
1: when i when i did my first year university i was 29 i think going almost 30 and everybody around me just couldn't function at life and i'd pretty much got it sorted there was one other person I was only female in my year to graduate because the other two, t- two just couldn't get themselves together. One of them couldn't turn up. And unfortunately, one of them was just really poorly all the time, so she just couldn't keep up. And then the guys around me just had, like, no social skills and just the stereotypical nerves. Like, one guy didn't even wash. I'm sure you wash like every couple of months. It's horrendous. And I was just sitting there like... I'm keeping another person alive and myself, and I'm still managing to come, turn up to uni and get reasonably good grades. So if that's as bad as it is, I can crack this. And then I ended up learning about four different languages that year. And that's probably a lot more than I thought I'd ever learn because you don't speak them. You read them, you write them, and then you start to get it that they've all got the similar kind of get this, grab this, do this with it. And then that really helps when you're into security because you then know how to break stuff. And if you know how to break stuff, you know how to defend it because that's what hackers do. They find something that's vulnerable and it's easy to break and they break it and then they steal your information. And that's what's going on there. Because if you know how to break it, you know how to fix it, and you also know how to get ahead of the hacker. And that's what the whole idea of defensive security is about, is that you learn the offensive tactics first, and then you go, nice try, ain't gonna happen. And that's what I liked about it, because I'm a very naturally defensive person. So, So, I don't
0: know. When you talk about languages that you learned, do you mean um, foreign languages, or do you mean like the languages of computing?
1: No, so computing. So you've got a couple of different languages before you get to the human level. You've got like, um, you've got binary language, which is like ones and zeros, ones and zeros. And that's how the computer speaks. And then you've got a language like in between, which I think is called assembly language. And then you've got the human language. So if I remember rightly, it's shaking, it's eight o'clock at night here, is you've got the binary, the assembly talks to the binary and then the the human talks to the assembly through a different language. And then those three languages make the computer do stuff. And then the bit that you shake with your mouse and your keyboard, these are all just devices that talk to the computer in that language. So some interface languages are coded in certain languages. Some website languages are coded in certain interfaces and tools. And like JavaScript, that's a language. Uh, HTML, that's a website language. Um, you've got languages a database, SQL. All these different languages, there's... More languages on the computer than there is for people languages. I think so, anyway. And it's just like, how would you even know how to speak them all? And that's
0: it's an amazing way to describe it. I, I look at, I, you probably thought I was absolutely mad when I asked you if you I, So I
1: just want to confuse people because some people get really technophobic and they go, What did you just say? And I'm like, Oh, oh, too far in depth there. Because I love technology, that's the thing, I've become a real addict for it. Um if you're interested in programming, buy a Raspberry Pi and code your little heart out, make yourself a CCTV system, make yourself a doorbell, um, make yourself a snake game, something like that. Um I would not recommend using them for hacking because they're not that good for that long.
0: So just saying. You went from the navy to, you know, having an interest in computing to being, you know, full blown with a degree knowing the language, being able to talk. Um, you know, with um, authority about computing and tech, and you're obviously really passionate about it. Which
1: I I was supposed to be some kind of expert, but I'm not sure if they got that one right, to be honest. (laughs) Um, I've got a massive dose of imposter syndrome sometimes, which is quite an interesting way to go. Um, Yeah, he said, massively passionate about it, and there's not one thing that I won't sit and have a chat to you about. Sometimes people look at me and go, would you just shut up already?
0: <laughs> so, I don't think anyone who's listening would say that at all. I think, I think it's fascinating, especially because what happened next after you finished your degree and how you've got to where you are now, because yeah. it's pretty inspiring because anyone who's listening, who has no background in tech is potentially a veteran. And, actually going back to your point about the other people on your degree course you know do you think the skills that you learn in the Royal Navy or that you were trained in in the Royal Navy prepared you better for um studying in in later life
1: um I would say that they tamed me a little bit but not enough for them to actually do anything with me um, <laughs> I've always been a bit of a wild misfit. So that's what, that's what like, if I, if I was to die tomorrow, that's what I'd want on my tombstone. She, <laughs> she didn't know what to do with her, sort of thing. Um, like when I got married, my mum gave me away to my husband. And when um, they did like the whole speeches and stuff, my mum did a little speech. And the last thing she said to Andy before she sat down was, she's your problem now. <laughs> So I was a bit like, all right, mom. <laughs> it was just like, <laughs> yeah, everybody thought it was funny. she's just, just our Mark. But I was like, yeah. But then my husband does call me Shiva the Destroyer because he spends half his days fixing stuff that I've broken.
0: So. <laughs> but, so how did you, um, so following your kind of graduation from your, your degree and um, which degree did you finish with again? What, what's it called? So I finished with um, a Bachelor's
1: of Computing, which is an honours degree. Um, So it was BSc Honours in Computing and I went to um, Portsmouth University and I graduated eight months pregnant. I was huge. I decided to have a second child and boy did we know about it because then there was Covid shortly after. (laughs) That was interesting.
0: Once you'd got your degree, obviously you had the small thing of having a child to look yeah. forward to next to degree. Yes, for <laughs> you, for How did you, um, how did you get to where you are now um, into cybersecurity from graduating with a degree, but no kind of real life experience of cybersecurity? So
1: like I said, I got a part-time job for a company Um, who did that sort of thing. They did a lot of IPTV crime um, investigation and they did things to prevent that. So IPTV crime is like, do you know when you see a shady mate in the pub and he gives you a TV box so you don't have to pay for Sky or Virgin or something like that? People get those subscriptions thinking that they are harmless, they don't do any trouble to people, but actually... You may as well just go and give a drug dealer bit of money and give them your bank details at the same time because they contribute to human trafficking and all sorts of like crimes that aren't mostly talked about in polite company. Um, and people give them their bank details to pay, to pay for these subscriptions, and then two minutes later, your it's the card's being cut off, the subscription doesn't work, and your bank account's got four grand missing from it, um, and they can get raided any minute. And it's gone. And that was fascinating. Like, I love learning about all the investigations. And, like, there was, there was like, red team and blue team and all this, all this sort of stuff going on behind the scenes that we didn't know about. And um, I learned a lot from them. And I started to learn more about, like, Linux systems and um, using a SIEM and IDS technology, which is intrusion detection device. Brand new grad to, like, Jedi-level Linux nerd and just really learning how things were done Um, and the project started to do really well people got a lot of interest and then COVID hit and then I got a redundancy check and I was devastated but I thought I'm not sure security was for me let's try something different went into data programming for about two or three years a couple of different companies Um, one company in particular was really really good um, really pro veteran looked out for me and did me a lot of support. I don't know if I'm allowed to say their name or not, but they were really good.
0: Yeah, it's fine. If they're good and you're giving them a chuck up, go for it.
1: Um, so, yeah, they're part of Air Force's Covenant, They're um, Butterfly Data. Um, and they've been really, really, like, great team, really supportive. Um, this lady um, with her husband, um, it's like Sarah, and I don't remember her husband. Sarah and Rob are the owners. And then they've got Wayne, who was one of the directors as well. He was my line manager. Absolutely mental South African guy. Like, just really nice, but just completely. And I learned a lot from them about how to manipulate data. And things like, oh, databases are boring. Yes, they are boring. But you learn business skills from that. And from those business skills, you can interpret data. So when you go into security... Funnily enough, you have to present data to people who are completely non-technical and some of them are panicking because they've heard the word security breach. Don't worry about it, we got it. <laughs> so from there I took a little break because I wasn't okay. I found out I was pregnant and had my third child and I needed a break. I was really not coping well mental health and I took a break after that and we ended up traveling. Came back to the UK after some traveling, and I was like, right, need a job. Thought, okay, I'll go back to the data. Went for a company who I don't want to name, and they treated me like absolute dirt. Didn't want to work for them anymore. And I decided that was it. I've got a caps lock. There's a course that I'd looked at, and they had lots of different things in there, but they all pointed to career cybersecurity. I've been a hobbyist hacker. For a few years, so since I graduated university, I found out about um, immersive labs through TechBits, and I'd been sort of playing around with that. And then I discovered like the Discord forum, um, and then I did try hack me, and a little bit hack the box, and all the different things that TechBits offer, and towards gearing you towards a career in security. I slowly sort of picked up little bits here, little bits there, and started to add that onto my LinkedIn, add it onto my CV. And really, didn't really think I was any good at that kind of stuff. But apparently, I was because after Capstock, apparently I, I did really, really well and got a job working for a really big company who were like, "Wow, we'll take you on as a sock analyst." I'm like, "Why?" <laughs> Do you know, you never really think you're as good as you are, but apparently, I am. So,
0: and I think I can you know. corroborate that because when I spoke to Capstock when I was putting this interview together, they said that. You were one of the, they've only had a couple of people who they've placed almost immediately at the start of a course. And you were one of them. So mm-hmm. I think I think you should feel very confident in your ability rather than. imposter syndrome. A <laughs> technical mindset
1: just goes, I have no idea why they think I'm amazing, but apparently they do. But then on the flip side of it you get all like super arrogant super like i am the boss i pay any more and then they do that to the point where they're earning ridiculous salaries have no idea what they're doing and in a crisis they hide in the cupboard so
0: you know uh, i'd rather just be a bit like i don't know why they like me (laughs) you know how did you apply for the Capsock course so did you see it through tech vets
1: um yeah i did i saw it through tech vets and um I just thought, it's it's time to do something different because I wasn't happy where I was working. It was causing burnout and like, I was driving there an hour by an hour back, not getting much support from my employer, having a real bad problem with management and just felt like if I keep working there, I'm going to get ill again. And I took the bull by the horns and went, right, TechVets tech have got this security course going, 16 weeks. I need to plan a way to get through that course and get support my husband had been working at home for a while and then he said right I'm going to go get a different job and work and like really bring home the bacon for a couple of months and so you can do this course so that's what he did and then I I dragged myself through that Um, it's not all about you and your individual effort it's team-based learning and it really does work and all the support that you get from that as well was just fantastic Because it's not, like, a lot of people think you have to be technical. You really don't. There was teachers, there was nurses, there was, like, um, people who had never, like, former lawyers and all sorts of anything, jack of all trades, you you name it, they've been there, dancers, everything. And there was one guy who was a dancer, um, and he retrained on Caps Lock, and then basically went to become a a cyber architect, which is someone who, who designs networks and designs how to keep them secure so you've got your network architect who builds the network and then your cyber architect who looks at all the bits goes right that's a weak point that's a weak point this is where you need to put your defenses here here and here it's like a i don't know a cyber fencer something like that somebody puts a fence up around your stuff you know he's like right protect this protect that protect that do not put that on the internet and stuff like that and There's just there's 16 different jobs in cybersecurity. A lot of people don't know that. That's a a huge amount. Um, And some of them are extremely technical, and some of them aren't very technical at all. And it can put people off because they think, "Oh, I'm not very good with computers." Here's the secret: you don't have to be. (laughs) Just have to be able to read, (laughs) like if you can read something digest it and explain it to somebody who has literally no idea about computers whatsoever you'll be fine
0: yeah so how did it um you mentioned your, your your husband kind of supported you in the in the training in that he kind of picked up more work to support you while you weren't earning and while you were retraining caps lock um, how did it feel when you got your kind of job offer come through um
1: when I got the job offer I literally ran around the house screaming (laughs) (laughs) we had been in such a stressful time and it was I was hunting every day like I spent hours on the computer every day looking for work and I had three major interviews that were like my top three that I wanted to get for and one was for um for BAE and I never got it. And I waited six weeks to hear back from them. And then by that point, I'd already had an offer from um, my own company.
0: Did you ever think, you know, back to the days when you were having your second child and graduating from university, that you end up with three children and a awesome job with Alice?
1: I mean, I hoped I had an awesome job. The three kids just came in, I don't know. I blame my husband. He just. The first one was, the first, first kid was his fault. This is what we say. you talked me into this. I always say this to him, especially when she's kicking off and being a brat. This is your fault, <laughs> right? And then when my son kicks off, he looks at me and he goes, this is your fault. Because I got really broody and I was like, I'm having another. And then, I don't know what happened with Audrey. I think it was too many at New Year's, to be honest. <laughs> and... Um, We just, she's just perfect. She's one of those kids. They always say, Your first is amazing, and they make you want to have another one. She's one of them kids, and I'm not having another one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like, freeze enough. So, yeah. How on earth did you juggle it all? Because I'm sure there are people who are listening who are probably in similar positions to you, whether they're a veteran with a family or someone who's. Leaving the services, who's a military partner, spouse, juggling live kids, and what would you say to someone who who might think, "God, it would. I don't know if I could handle doing a degree while my partner is away, or how how on earth have you? What's your superpower? What's got you to where you are today? Blind determination, I suppose. Um,
1: I'm really stubborn. And I deserve a better life than the one I've got right now. Um, I, I was told a lot, a lot of, uh, I mean, I can't, honestly, But a penny for every, a pound for every time someone called me stupid. I would probably be a bloody millionaire by now, but I know I'm not. So just go for it. And if it's stressful, if it's hard, get organised. got a wall planner and, uh, Stuck it on the wall and put every time the kids had half term, every time my husband was at sea, every time he was back, and then planned it accordingly. And if you go to university for particular, treat it like a full time job. Find out when your assignments are due, when they're what's going to be on those assignments, and plan them. Spend a little bit of time every day, and then when four o'clock, five o'clock, whenever you go to pick up your kids comes you're done anything else major like a dissertation that's going to take you longer and it takes planning and that's all it is it's just planning and hard work and then when they're at sea it's hard but when they're home it's it's better because you can just like take the kids out I've got words to do you know and they respect you more for even making the effort that's the thing because they're like they can see it as a means to an end as well it's hard, it's not it's no easy, it's never going to be easy. But I mean, I met a woman the other day there, she's an um, um, army wife. She's been an army wife for years. She's got eight children. Imagine much our life's like? There's always somebody out there who's got worse life than you. I've got a roof over my head, my boiler works now, and uh, my fridge has got food in it. I don't have a hard life, I'm a really lucky lady. My husband's amazing, he even puts the kids to bed. <laughs> that is brilliant well just don't don't think about what you haven't got and how hard it is just keep going tomorrow's a new day and if it's shit go to bed
0: <laughs> I love your, your philosophy it's absolutely brilliant. especially because you talked about when you spoke to the Forces Employment Charity and Annette Berry and that initial conversation that you felt very um, lacking in in confidence um what what do you think is the utility of talking to the forces employment charity how how did they help you and how could it help other people Uh, right there's a bit of a stigma with these kind of things right
1: i'll be full and frank whenever you leave the military you go to your resettlement office and you think you're not going to help me. You're just going to tell me how to write a CV, maybe point me on a few courses, and that'll be the end of it. But there's a psychological aspect to it as well, because when you leave the military, you think, "Am I good enough? Do my any of my skills translate to anything that you guys are giving me?" And when I left, they didn't. Now they do, and they actually like, "Wow, you're a veteran. You did all this." Before they didn't give a toss. I went to the job centre when I first left the military. And I said to the lady, right, I've never been in here before. I don't really know what I'm supposed to do. Um, I think I'm going to have to retrain because I don't have any skills. And she says, so you haven't been looking for work? I'm like, well, not yet. No, I need to know what I need to do. And she goes, well, I suggest you go get looking for work now, don't you? And she was very abrupt to the point that I just walked out. I didn't even claim any job seekers and I've never claimed it ever since even when things have been tough, because that woman was vile. And I can see how people struggle when they leave because they need to know how to function in society. And little things like that give you the confidence to say, like, my skills match up to this role. That's what they do over there. They help you see how it's relatable and just talk you off that little mind block you've put up, that wall of, I'm not good enough. I've... I've not got the same skills as somebody the same age as me. Of course you don't. They've been doing whatever they've been doing. Well, you've been off doing something else. Like, you know, well, you were like up at three o'clock in the morning putting put a fire out. They were at parroting with their mates doing a line of coke. You know, you've got a real life, you've got real life experience and you've got more common sense and you can deal with crises much better than they can. If someone's house catches fire, normally you panic and freak out you got somebody with military training they deal with a the crisis then and there and they get everybody out. You know, it's, it's that kind of automatic behaviour and it comes from military training. It comes from keeping calm in a crisis and knowing how to deal with it. And just, I don't know, if, some people are really good to stuff like that. They never mind being in the military. But, like, some people just... I don't know, the washing machine breaks down or the freezer breaks, and they're on the phone to mummy and daddy straight away, you don't have that as an military wife. You don't have that in the navy. You don't have that in the, like middle of the ocean when the phone doesn't work. So that's <laughs> the skills you get, you know. So when you speak to Annette and um, over there, she's like, you know, it's totally normal for um, I'm I'm ex navy, so I say ran. It's not the official term, but that's what everybody calls you. Like. It's totally normal for, you know, an ex-ren to maybe end at a million different jobs and in and out, in and out. And it's like a self-esteem thing coupled with the normal, but like, you know, mum, wife, chief cook and bottle washer sort of situation, you know. Uh, She just helps you see that why shouldn't you have a job. I got told I have to have a career or a family. I was like, sod that, I'm having both. So that was my attitude. And it's been that attitude ever since. If I wanted to have a million kids and have an
0: amazing job, that's what I'm going to have. <laughs> oh, it's such a it's such a refreshing attitude because I think you're so right. So many people say you can't you can't have both, but you're living proof. They can. can. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what would, you, what would you say were the highlights of the Lock course?
1: It's just like. Everybody's got their strengths and their weaknesses. And it was good to see people's humanity, really. Um, When you're a a technical role, you have a lot of people who are either non-technical or management, and you don't get to see people who are more business-focused or just watching people grow as well from day one learning about like the basic stuff about what is cybersecurity, and to you know doing like risk management modules and ISO 27001 and how to do presentations and um doing like sometimes twice weekly assessments and watching people get really into it was really good and then um just it was just really good fun there's a lot of competitive behavior and a lot of like oh, we're going to do this. And our team came out on top and we were all like real smug about it. And it's just like, anybody who says that they think that Caps Lock is a waste of time needs to actually go on the course because it's really, it sounds like a, a, an ad campaign for Caps Lock, but it's not. It's that they are a fantastic resource I would not recommend them if I didn't think they were good. I would not be here if I did not think they were good. They have massively changed my life from being unhappy in a job where I was not sure if I was going to be a stay-at-home wife again to giving me my chance at my dream job where, you know, I have flexibility. They treat me like a person. They accept me for things that are slightly off-kilter, a little bit different from everybody else. But, you know... they're just like an amazing employer and they give me the chance at shining and showing responsibilities that I would never have got in any other role and letting me like be a bit gobby and a bit ridiculous because I have my quirks and my mouth runs away with me all the time. I get in trouble all the time for my like random conversations. But they accept it because it comes with the technical expertise as well. And I have got understanding and I have got business skills that come from working as a data analyst. Because part of the thing about being a stock analyst is you look at a system called a SIEM. And it's almost like a big database of network information. And you manipulate it, you search it, you deal with alerts that come up. You write rules that make it um, detect things in the network more efficiently. Um, and that is a case with a lot of different types of scene. Um, I'm not going to go any further than that, but it's just like you become so like embroiled in the technical aspect that when something does happen, you have to then explain it to somebody who's sitting... Like, you know, in, in like a, a managerial role, like an executive role, and they've got to explain to somebody on another side of the business, like what actually happened and uh, why they need a lot of money to fix the problem, sort of thing, uh, before it becomes an even bigger problem. Um, and that's just like difficult because you spend all day dealing with technical stuff. So you have to have that translatable skill. You have to actually be a person, not just like a, a robot with glasses and basically lives in a bedroom and doesn't wash. You know, you, you, you have to... know I'm not going to go there today. But like, <laughs> um, it's, it's being a person first, interpreting the technology next and then understanding the process. So I have somebody I'm working with at the moment who's almost like a mentor to our department and he says, people, process, technology. Technology is a big part of it, but so are the people. Because if you don't get on with them and you can't talk to them and they can't talk to you, it's not going to work. And then you also have to understand the process. So you have to listen and understand what the process is if there's an issue. And that's the main three things that you need if you want to do security. It's just an understanding of all those two things. That's it. You don't have to be some sort of like ninja. You don't have to be Rain Man. Just keep calm. Do what you're supposed to do.
0: And have a deep love for technology. Uh, Mary, that's just, that's been such... It's been such a pleasure talking to you. <laughs> I I'm sorry. No, you've just been you've been really kind of honest and candid about your experiences, you know, right, right for them from the kind of start of your career with the Royal Navy or all the way through. And I think there's something for everyone to learn from in your experience there, whether it's, you know, standing up to people who say you can't do something and showing them not only that you can, but you're going to smash it out of the park at the same time. Yeah. So about jumping into things like CapStock, like tech vets, like Forces Employment Charity, like good companies, and making them work for what you want at the end of, you know, what you're aiming for. Um, and I think when you talk about people, process and technology, that's something that it feels like it comes up time and time again when I speak to people to veterans who are working in tech because they seem to underestimate their soft skills, their ability to just get on with people, which actually isn't that common. It's not something that's kind of, you know, your everyday person who hasn't had military experience, it doesn't necessarily come naturally or it's not kind of engendered in them. To well, such and that's a where When minute Barry came in, she was like, oh, you've got soft skills your hard skills will come
1: along later when you eventually get more experience. And when you have an interview with an employer, it's just that. It's a conversation with you to see if you like them, if you're a good fit for their impression of what the role should be. And sometimes I've been for interviews where I didn't even want to be in the room with this person because I could tell straight away that they weren't impressed by me. And the way that they spoke with me was just like, and I'm like, well, can I go now then? And then there's times when I've been in the room and the interviews ran over because we've been sat there laughing our heads off. And it's just like, don't be scared of interviews. And just remember that if you need that support, if you need someone to talk you up beforehand to help you get into the the mindset, that's what it's there. Like both um, forces employment, and Capswalk gave me that. I had a great support from the Capsop team with like employment coaching as far as um, interviews because I make a terrible first impression. Sometimes I have actually fallen over in the middle of an interview before as well, where I've <laughs> over and fallen into the room. No coming back for that one, especially when you say, oh, hmm, in the middle of it. However, I did tell my husband to something off in an interview once when he came up behind me. Now, it wasn't an F-bomb um, when I was in an interview and I actually got the job because they liked my humour. So, it's kind of just depends on the company. I really think you need to not worry about it. Just go prepared. If you've got support from Caps Lock from their team, then you will be fine. I got told to embrace the silence because, as you can tell, I talk a lot.
0: So... <laughs> Oh, Mary, it's been, it's been awesome to talk to you. And I think for anyone who's listening, there's, I know there's, um, there's regular Caps Lock training that comes up for TechVets members on the site. So if you're listening and you're interested in joining a capsite course, Caps Lock course, like Mary did, you can go to www.techvets.co and you can join up to become a member there. Jump into the Discord channel and you'll find the latest information about Caps Lock. Mary, are you on are you still on the Discord channel for Tech Vets? Yeah.
1: I um I have I don't know
0: if I need to give my handle or what am I supposed to do here? Um how can people find you if they want to kind of tap you up for some advice or um Well you can find me on on, on the Discord. I mean I'm basically a and nerd. That's,
1: that's that's my whole I'm Scottish now and I'm uh, a massive nerd. So therefore smash them together. I'm also on LinkedIn um, and you should be able to find me there um, just I don't know I, I, I very if you message me I'll talk to you but I'm not sure about LinkedIn generally because I get loads of people asking me to be friends with them and a lot of the time I've got a clue who they are so I'm like um, give me a minute <laughs> you know um, it comes from the job I suppose
0: yeah absolutely and I think probably if If people are listening, then join TechVets, become a member, get into the Discord channel, and that's probably the best way of finding you. And also, it's the best way to network and meet other members of the community who are probably on similar paths. Do you know what's really good for as well? When you've got no social life and you've got three kids in bed and hobbies at sea, you need something to do. That's what that's great for as well. (laughs) Oh, brilliant! Okay, well, I think kind of after after this goes out and people listen, if we um, have a big jump and. up in discord um you some members uh, we'll know why and it's it'll be all thanks to you mary i
1: will just tell it like it is come on
0: (laughs) (laughs) cool all right well um thank you so much for for joining me tonight and um for anyone listening again you can follow um you'll you can touch base with Caps Lock, follow up at their latest training courses at www.techfets.co and the link will be in the description below this podcast and video. Thank you, Mary. It's been delightful to speak to you. Sorry, all right, Love to speak to you too, Merida.